Vodka. Vodka. Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you are listening to a special episode of Vodka O'Clock. This is another one recorded live at Steampunk World's Fair. And uh, if you don't know about that event, please go check out AmberUnmasked.com. I have a bunch of coverage already up there. It's, uh, there's so much music at that show, but there's a ton of panels. Like, you can never, ever, ever be bored at Steampunk World's Fair. I promise you that. So thank you to Jeff McEvents for having me there. Now, this episode of Vodka O'Clock, I just want to remind you of a couple things and tell you about something else really cool. So, reminding you that you can please go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked to sponsor me and the show. That basically keeps the bills paid. It's better than advertising. And honestly, who really wants to get into the advertising game? Not me. So, just go to there. It's like a, an online tip jar, basically. Patreon.com slash amberunmasked. Don't forget that you can also pick up my first mystery novel, Cardiac Arrest, a Farrah Weathers mystery. There's info at amberunmasked.com, or you can just type in, uh, if you type in Cardiac Arrest on Amazon, you will get a ton of medical books also, just to give you some fair warning. So if you look up my author name, Elizabeth Amberlove, you should be able to track it down from that as well. So... I will present you with this wonderful lecture on the occult and spiritualism in America. But stick around for after the lecture because uh, it was a pretty short workshop. So it only ran about 30, 35 minutes. And it was presented by the wonderful and amazing Eerie Twilight. She's fascinating. I absolutely love getting to her panels. But stick around because what I've decided to do since this one was pretty short was add some of the music samples that I recorded at Steampunk World's Fair. So you will hear Eli August in the Abandoned Buildings, Mansara, and This Way to the Egress. And they're really diverse, very wild, all very different kinds of bands. So you can also uh, learn more about those bands on Twitter. It's easiest probably to find them and track them down if you don't want to just go to Google. Eli August is just all one word on Twitter, Mansara Music. And then for this way to the egress, you have to hit underscore egress underscore, and you can find them on Twitter that way. So to find Eerie Twilight, the amazing witch archaeologist slash burlesque dancer that presented this panel, you can find her on Facebook under Stay Hexy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. America and things that are going on in America. There's going to be a little archaeology, a little spiritualism, a little Blavatsky, you know, just like a nice little a grouping of how occultism has shaped America and how America has shaped it, um, including, well, I like to start off here. Oh, yeah, so this is Clint Essential, and he is Clint Essentially, like, the best guy ever and is helping move this. Let's give him a... I love that the woo has like transplanted from burlesque to here. Like that's awesome. More woo. Oh. I have a question for you, and whoever answers the question, especially if you answer it correctly, gets a T-shirt from T Villain, which I'll mail you later. The deployment system. That be the Freemasons? No, but good try. They are spiritual like. They are a spiritual collective, but and they were in the early founding days. But they are also from the UK and then came over here. They are from Europe. They're yeah. transplanted. This is a purely American one, and they're kind of and, and Quakers. No, but good try. I, I we do talk about them a tiny bit. Native American. 
They're natives, and they're, uh, they're, they're 15 million worldwide. Smallpox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
it's funny, and I like there's a million ways to divide, and people have just been doing it for forever, and we come up with all sorts of fun terms for it, and we're starting at the beginning because it's fun. <laughs> Oh wait, maybe they'll maybe they'll pop up by themselves. This is so much fun, guys. Whatever. I'm gonna gonna give you some really fun Latin names for different types of divination, including weather divining, bibliomancy, you know, the fun shit, but Apparently, somebody's God is making this difficult. So instead, we're going to go to the Mormon timeline. Joseph Smith, which is this really cool, weird guy who dabbled in peeping throughout his childhood. Like, people used to come to him, local treasure hunters and stuff, and he would take his quartz crystal and put it into a hat, and he would, you know, look at it and then tell people what to do and where to go. And, you know, funny enough, when Moroni, the angel, gave him those gold tablets that nobody could ever find, <laughs> you know, he used the same method of divination, of putting them into a hat, and then I believe that he read them off to a friend who then ended up stealing the manuscript, and then he had to write the whole thing again, and then they were cross-compared, and they weren't the same, so it was kind of an issue, but we just glossed over that, and now we have Salt Lake City, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but as you can see, um... Oh, go forward, just forward. So these are some of, I would like to tell you as an archeologist, this is my, my daily job, that if we had elephants in North America, the material culture, we would have them. Like people would be using those things for all sorts of tools and decorative pieces, but unfortunately we don't, so there were not elephants in North America at the time that humans inhabited it. Like, it's just not happening. Everything else, sure. I mean, we have a little bit more data about horses. There is the chance that some horses did come over on the land bridge, which is kind of new and exciting, because for forever, archaeologists have been telling Native Americans, you guys are crazy, and you guys just invented that horse mythology when the Spanish came over. But it seems like that's not necessarily the case. With the doctrine of religious and spiritual freedom, America has seen many ways of cult travel throughout the country, moving in and out of popular culture. Let's start with another cult leader with an apocalyptic bent. And all of my things are not showing! It's not just supposed to be... Archaeologically, the shorter his name gets, so like you'll see people from like Monticello will be like TJ. Anybody who's been on Poplar Forest, we'd be like, oh yeah, TJ. I know all about him. It's cool. Has anybody ever heard of this chick? Like during the colonial days, shit got really weird in a really fun way, and people started doing all sorts of cool things. This individual is probably the first genderless popular figure that we have in our country. Like, this person died. She, she died and came back as the public universal friend who believed that the world was going to end and attracted a lot of followers to her and ended up moving them to New York, you know, to await the end of the world and stuff. And since we're here today, 
I guess you guys can kind of guess the story. You know, what happens to those people? Spoilers. Spoilers. It's not Jonestown bad, so it was okay. Like people just kind of left, like instead of no Kool Aid and forcing and all that nastiness. So, you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, has anybody ever heard of the United Society of Believers in Christ's second second appearing? Yeah. Did you know that they still exist? Yes. Yes. Not many. Yeah, not, well, yeah, you know, that celibacy thing and, like, the yeah. whole, I mean, it's cool that in the early days it seems like they got a lot of converts and traffic through taking care of orphans and, like, taking in people and allowing them to choose whether they wanted to live this lifestyle. So that's really nice. I mean, if you're going to be a celibate group of awesome, dancy people who work really hard, you may as well, like, take care of some kids while you're doing it. Uh, I really love to hang out with them, but unfortunately... So Shakers are related to Quakers and the Amish and the Mennonites, which I'm sure that we're all pretty familiar with since we're in New Jersey and we had to get through Pennsylvania to come here. So we've seen all sorts of beautiful rural landscapes, um, carriages, people who decide not to participate in English society, which is totally cool as long as you know it's willing. And apparently there's like breeding programs now because unfortunately all of the Amish descendants come from eight families. We can all see the problems that we have. And I will say, as an archaeologist, Quaker sites, they can be occupied for like 200 years, and you'll be digging units, you'll be finding features and basement fill, and maybe just find one piece of whiteware because they're just not wasteful. They reuse everything, and they're very fastidious about how they engage with material culture, which is really cool, except when you fetishize stuff and you want to find the pretty stuff. And it makes me so sad that I can't say that these lovely painted signs that we see when we're going through Amish country do not actually have any inherent occult significance. They have gathered it over time, which is awesome, and I love that you know people take things and give them meaning, but they're pretty much were just made to be pretty and to make things pretty. And sometimes people, as people, as we all do, like to ascribe all sorts of significance to stuff. And it's like, well, it's just pretty. It's pretty. Occult legacy of the Masons. Now, I'm kind of salty on Masons because I'm female and I'm not allowed to join into their rights. And if you actually are interested in um, occultism and modern occultism today, I highly recommend checking out the Ordo Templis Orientis. There's a bunch of groups everywhere. Super chill people usually, very kind, and there's no gender bias, which is kind of important to me. But the Masons are really important in American history. I'm sure, does everybody know Masonic History 101? Presidents, people doing stuff, getting together, deciding that we want revolution, and then we got it, and it was kind of awesome. But basically, uh, periods. They're scared of our periods, guys. (laughs) It's a thing, like, bleeds for seven days and doesn't die, can't be on our rights. There are a few instances of women actually being initiated into rites of masonry, which do not allow women, but it, like, involves hiding in cupboards and popping out at the right moment. 
and it just seems really cumbersome. <laughs> like, I've thought about it, haven't actually gotten there yet. So, masons, occultists, look at all the symbolism. Like, I really could go over it, and the tiling, and the initiatory, initiatory, initiatory tradition? Initiatory. Initiatory, thank you, Clinton But I feel like we all need TJ was not Christian. He was a sympathetic to Christian ideas and morals, and he did believe in an overall creator God. That is, I guess, the Christian God, but like, things, despite what the 1950s and 60s did to our educational system and decided what the world was, and you know, we're still seeing this today, this revisionist history where we're having the creationism discussion in classrooms and the censorship of information and like what's happening for kids these days and textbooks, like all that stuff. You don't, like you just assume that all of these people were definitely Christians and they weren't. Um, he also, you know, obviously owned people, um, though Thomas Jefferson did have his uh, certain members of his household educated abroad and they were able to read and write despite the fact it being the, despite the fact that it was illegal at the time and he intervened on behalf of one of one of his, of one of his enslaved residents who the overseer was getting in between him and his wife so he wrote a letter and we still have the letter they have it atop the forest and thomas jefferson was like you can't try to separate these people he gave them a cot and a pot because that's what you did, as opposed to, you know, freedom. Though, in Virginia, actually, um, he would have had to vacate the territory in seven days if he was free, unless his wife decided to own him, which creates a whole other mess of issues. <laughs> well, yeah, it's fun, it's fun for us in that way, but, like, think about, like, you know, having to be owned by your wife, literally, just so you can have the ability to stay in a place. Interesting. It's pretty fucked. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, like traditional marriage is pretty. Also, not a proponent of that in that way. Saying, um, all right, this is one of my favorite things because I've actually gotten to do this. So we don't talk about it a lot, um, but the people in which we brought over here from the various parts of Africa had lots of really cool religious practices. And we see that a little bit in America in the archeological context. In Shirley Plantation, I was actually able to hold it. There was a cellar, and the cellar was filled in one instance. And in the corner, there were eagle talons, boar's tusks, and quartz crystals. Just in one corner, like, a very strange grouping of things together. It obviously had clearly occult significance. And unfortunately, no more research has been done on it. Like, it's just kind of languishing because that plantation system is a mess. But we also have lots of raccoon penis bones. Does anybody know what those are for? I'll give you a prize. We set up first. Also, Yes. They're still spaghetti. I will tell you what to do with it after, so I may send you that. Uh, and at uh, 
Hermitage in Tennessee, there's these cute little charms, like fist charms, that are so small that you can only find them when water screening because they'll actually fall through standard quarter inch mesh. So they were a symbol that people would wear. Usually we think that they were associated with people who were on the Underground Railroad, so only people who were like, you know, your coworkers and people that were with you would actually see them, and possibly also significant for protection purposes. I feel like we need to talk about voodoo, just like a little brief snippet. Um, there's an amazing panel going on over here, which my boyfriend is actually checking out because I'm doing this right now. I would love to be over there. But voodoo, as it is portrayed in culture, it does not pay the respect to the tradition that we should be paying. Like the amount of um, taking the Catholic elements of the common culture and hiding yourself and your life into them and like your worship is just so beautifully subversive. And their pantheon is incredibly complicated. Like you probably, you'd need to take lots of time studying to even get a basic understanding of what's going on with it. Like, and so I just felt like it was important to mention that it is a religion. It is not, you know, just fucking dolls with stabbies. And the people who practice it are incredibly passionate and devoted to deity. It is um, very focused on ancestor, ancestor honoring, invoking the deity, though it's kind of like surprise invocation, which is kind of funny, because like you can be at a ritual and deity will, you know, just pick somebody and go in them and then they'll start doing stuff and acting like them and taking on their attributions and talking to people and it's, oh, it's so cool. So it's kind of like, you know, you can liken it to like the snake handling churches and the tongues churches. It's all in the same, it's all in the same tradition. It's all the same shit. It's just with a different veneer on it. Hoodoo is amazing and is often, often confused with voodoo because they can look really similar when you're outside of the system. Because it's like there's candles and like stuff going on and mojos being worked and you know, it looks really similar. But hoodoo is not a religion. Hoodoo is a practice and it's an incredibly practical occult practice. It is like there's something for everybody and there's something for anything that you could want to do. I think that you guys should go home and research hoodoo if you have shit that you need done. I'm saying, like, I, there's so many options and people that you can work with. And it is traditionally an African-American folk spirituality, but like the best things, it had no problem taking the things that worked from other cultures. Like, you'd have people talking to each other and the charms would just get drawn in. And everybody liked it, it was good. Anybody, more Pennsylvania Dutch fun shit. Does anybody know about the powwow? Yay! It's really cool. Um, in the 1920s, this gentleman created the powwow, or the long lost friend, which is kind of like an almanac that also has practical charms and hexy applications. And there are still, you can still sometimes find them in like stores, and they have like some folk magic from the Appalachians, they have hoodoo stuff from, you know, African-American people coming in and throwing their way. It's very, very fun. 
and it's not, it doesn't contradict Christianity at all. These people who practice this do not consider themselves occultists, but it's just, if God put this here and it works, why not use it? And I think that attitude is great. Yay! So there's a bunch of panels on this this weekend, so we're not going to talk about, like, you're going to get a much more in-depth view of this from somebody else. But I wanted to mention it because New York being the place where a lot of this really fun shit is happening. These ladies hanging out. This rapping starts. And Victorians lose their minds because it's all death and it's all talking and there's like things going on in the air and stuff's flying around and cabinets are opening and nobody knows why. Things keep escalating from the wrapping. We decide to do seances so we can invoke the wrapping and bring it into the room. And then there's this guy doing this thing because it's a dark room and there's like things flying around and cheesecloth coming out of faces. <laughs> there it is. And the photography is so great, especially spirit photography, because today, you know, we have Photoshop, and we have all these ways to make these fun things happen. And you can look at a bunch of the awesome historic photos of spiritualist encounters, and look at them now and just be like, guys, like, that's obviously a person. It's fine. And they're like, no, it was a ghost. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And, of course, you could also buy a bunch of these supplies, so I kind of just wanted to put in little list because, you know, everything's a business, and spiritualism was a really big, big business that also played along with mesmerism, which is people traveling around, hypnotizing people, and making them do weird shit because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they could do. Now we get into the really fun stuff. This is kind of more in my wheelhouse. So... All of the high magic tradition that we have, does everybody familiar with the term high magic? Awesome, yay, great. This is the guy that all of that system and symbolism comes back to, and the things that he found and discovered. Like, this is the man, Mr. Alphonse Louise Constant, or Mr. LeBay. I can't pronounce his first name, I'm not even gonna lie. Yeah. Everybody pronounces it differently, but I like yours. Are you staring at all the I hope so. I'm trying to figure out exactly what I was trying when I when I when I despised this, like what where I was going. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Crowley up there. I do have Mr. Crowley up here. Mr. Crowley, so because he died six months before Crowley was born, that meant that Crowley decided that six months before you're born, if somebody dies, that's when the reincarnation happens. Like, that's when, conveniently, you know, it's like, oh, I'm obviously a reincarnation of this guy because he died, like, six months before I was born. And that's when that happens, because math. <laughs> literally, like, you know, like literally, like it's like let's work these numbers until we go crazy, and obviously this is what's going on. Here's my proof. The proof is in the pudding. Oh, this guy. 
Everybody know about Mr. Crowley? Yes. Oh my God, he's such a weirdo. He thought that he was the greatest thing ever. He was a contemporary of some amazing, amazing poets and people, and he decided that he conquered poetry, and then he went out to Cario with his woman, and had this awesome book delivered to him, the Book of the Law, and it's really cool, except for chapter three, which kind of sucks and makes you feel really uncomfortable about your life and your decisions. <laughs> but he was a trove of literature, and he made, he made so many contributions to occultism, and he knew this chick, and they kind of had a thing going on, and this bitch was... <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Is everybody familiar with the, the study of... Uh, these people actually still like the, exist, the Theosophical Society, and they're really cool if you can find them. Like, they're very scientific and rigorous. Like, she actually carried Crowley's torch about, like, let's find scientific inquiry for, you know, our occult feelings. And they don't always find anything, but we can still have those feelings, I think, because I think that they're worth having. Um, she liked to trick people by being in another room and contacting the secret chiefs. Oh, let's talk about the secret chiefs, dude. Okay, so there's this one guy, Mr. Mathers, who I don't know if we're going to get to today. But Mr. Mathers was like, oh, I developed this initiatory traditions by talking to the secret chiefs that came into my head and initiated me and talked to me. And then Crowley was like, well, I talked to the secret chiefs, and they said that I'm now the ruler of the Golden Dawn. And he's like, no, -uh, the secret chiefs didn't say that. And it was this whole thing. Like, oh, it, 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 it is. That's what happened. That's what happened. Seriously. And she talked to the secret chiefs, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, letters they sent letters through the floor like physical ones because she was like dropping them through floorboards and like pushing them through walls and cupboards and like had a bunch of people around her finger like she was a really cool manipulative lady and I want to give her tons of props for what she did for women in occultism but at the same time shisty Made in America, man, Satanism. Definitely 100% made in America. This man, the principles. Has, any, has anybody read the Satanic Witch here? Or edited the Satanic Bible? I think it's a pretty cool tradition for the fact that it focuses on you and empowers. It's very personally empowering. Like the, the message of the Satanic Witch, the takeaway was like, girl, do you. Show, show it off. Like, get what you want. I do wish they hadn't changed the name of it. Yeah, the change title was the complete witch. Ooh. Yeah. With like the whole spelling of complete. Satanism really. So that's really Satan really has little to do with Satanism. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I love that. It's the like, self. It's it, you. It just explains that right in the beginning that Satan is a scapegoat for Christians, mm -hmm. and that you should put it out of your mind. Satan is just what what you can be as a person, empowering yourself. It's that, is what, that is what the adversary to all the, the conformity of, of current Christianity when he was making it was about. It's true. 
I completely agree. That's yes. why it took me it took me like decades to realize how freaking cool he was. I thought it was like, when I first heard about it, I was like, the satanic rules are good rules to live by. Like I like that. You know, hey, if somebody comes into your house and you don't want them to, fucking kill them. Done. Well, listen, I'm not from right here, but doesn't Satan come from the Arabic word Hasatan to be adversary? I. Yes, the adversary. Thank you for being awesome and helpful. Uh, Anti-Levay, New Satanism, California, Lion Tamer, Sideshow Guy, a powerful cult of personality. Created a really fun tradition where everybody can join for a fee, and then you're a member for life. And they do really amazing, elaborate rituals. Um, I would highly recommend checking out a service if you guys get a chance. Because it's neat, and I like it. What's interesting is before he formed the Church of Satan, he'd be performing at the church with playing the organ, and then turn around and play the organ at the brothel. And be seeing the same people. Hypocrisy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> if you haven't read his books, I definitely recommend it, regardless of your beliefs. It's very good reading. He's <laughs> fun. All right, so now we're getting to the part that I is one of my favorite things. So there's multiple. Has anybody here made a sigil before? Raise of hands. Yay! Cool. So yay. Then you guys will already know this part, but this is just you know we're gonna go over it anyway. A sigil, in this context, is a visual representation of something that you want to happen. And we do this in four to six easy steps. Step one, define in a short statement your aim. My example, have a great weekend, because I feel like we should be here to have a good time and, you know, companionate, associative, fun times. If you're actually doing a real sigil, don't put it on a screen and tell everybody what you're doing. <laughs> Dare to will to know and shh. Step two, remove the duplicate letters. Some people also remove vowels. Um, I find that it doesn't really matter as long as it, like, everything is a tool. And as long as you know how to wield the tool, you can do it any way you fucking want. If anybody tells you that you're doing it the wrong way, that's a control issue. And it's totally not your problem. Like, do you? So if we did that, we'd have H-A-V-E-G-R-T-W-N-D. Step three, combine into a single hexi design. I really am... <laughs> Step four, forget about it. I also find that it's useful to, uh, when I'm actually in the process of drawing my sigil, I try to be very present in that moment, and I like to repeat the aim quietly that I'm doing as I'm drawing the form. And then I like to take it, I have a special place for my sigils, and I leave it there, and I forget about it, and I go about my life. Step five, if any of you are practitioners and you do keep a magical diary, which I hope that if you are practicing that you do, just because it's kind of nice to be able to see like 15 years ago what you were thinking. Um, I like to take it, make a note, not be specific about it because I feel like that kind of like takes away from the practice. And then when it's completed, I like to take the sigil, date it, and I put it in a special place. And then if you celebrate things with burning and fire and renewal, that's a great time to burn your sigils. And you know, it makes the pretty things in the fire and it looks really cool, I think. And I think... So what
once again, you guys, thank you for listening to that lecture on occultism in America by Eerie Twilight, recorded live at Steampunk Worlds Fair. Now stick around because you can hear some of the musical performances. First up, Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, then Mansara, and then This Way to the Egress to wrap up this week's special episode of Vodka O'Clock. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and everything else is at AmberUnmasked.com. To one another. That's uh, sometimes an unpopular philosophy, especially in this band. <laughs>
chaos inside We can hear the explosions Screaming, shooting the rhythm through the world Yeah. Oh, I can say the fate in terms of reality. 